Good afternoon and welcome back to another Footy Consultancy podcast. Today we are very honoured to have with us Lee Nova, current Bradford City number nine, ex-Birmingham City, Huddersfield, Charlton Athletic and Scunthorpe. Good to see you Lee, how are you doing? Yes, yeah, good, thanks for having me. And understand at the minute you've been coming back from injury, how's that been? Yeah, it's been good, um, had an off seven weeks ago, um, it's been long, boring, but now it's getting there, I think I'm outside this week, so yeah, seeing a bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. Have you got any games in mind where you think you might be back? Uh, I think we said the last four or five games, because um, at the start they probably thought I wouldn't play a part, but um, yeah, so the last four or five will be obviously ideal to get back to. Perfect, and before the injury, your season seemed to be going very well, I think you've scored, what's it, 6 and 12? Yeah, so I think all in all about 7 and 14 this season, um, but not, it was going well, and then pick up a little injury, or turn it into quite a bad one. And there's been a couple of times in your career I've noticed where you have had injuries that have kind of stopped that progression. Um, was it a hamstring injury? Was that it? Yeah. At Huddersfield? Yeah, I had a bad hamstring injury at Huddersfield. Um, I think it was literally just hung on by a, a little thread, which probably would have been easier for it to just come off so I could yeah. have it repaired, but that was about three months, yeah, so it's not been ideal. Um, this season as well, I had a bad cough injury. Yeah. Played, just had a tight cough and ended up getting it scanned and I was out for about 10 weeks and then I think I played about five games come back and picked up literally a knee injury. I think as a striker as well, momentum's key in confidence. How much do you think it plays a, <coughs> a role in momentum when you keep picking up injuries and little niggles here and there? Obviously you've got players at the top end like of Harry Kane who seems to have, the last few years, had quite a few injuries that have knocked him back but then he's came back and hit that run of form. Yeah, obviously, I think it's for any position. You need that run. You need that run in the team. You know, if you keep one of them players keep coming in and out, it's not good for you. It's not good for your team as well because you need that sort of solidarity way in where you know who's going to do what and what's going to happen. But for me personally, it's obviously not ideal. Um, you know, I work hard. You're not tough for 10 weeks yeah. and get back in the team. And then something just woke up one morning, had a sore knee, went in. And obviously, I need a knee operation. Um, but... No, it's, to be fair, injuries part and parcel. It's more getting yeah. your head around how long it's going to be, and working hard and doing everything you can to get back quicker. And, and you know, when you get your chance again, obviously taking it. Do you think, as you've obviously now you've been playing in the AFL for over ten years, do you think that experience has helped to deal better with injuries? Yeah, uh, sort of. Even sort of like when you said about chances and that, it's never bothered me missing a chance. Yeah. If I missed an open goal. I remember a game when I was on loan at Chesterfield, I missed an open goal. It didn't bother me, I wouldn't have scored 10 minutes later. I was yeah. just like, if I'm not getting them chance, I'll be worried. But yeah, obviously, playing around and being around the game and the characters help you deal with stuff. And probably when I was younger, I didn't take it as well yeah. with the injuries. And I thought, you know, what if the sign's someone else and I never play again? I'm not going to do this. But now you just sort of deal with it. It's part and parcel of your job. Yeah. And just, you just got to come back stronger. Like the mental side, is, you know, I've always been pretty good with that. Have you found that in the past or even now that you've had much support from the clubs when you have been injured in regards to the mental side of it? Um, I don't know. Obviously, the game's changing a lot now where yeah. the mental side is obviously at the forefront of everyone's mind with, you know, things that have gone on, you know, that you see the young lads, what are, what's happened with them and... I would probably say now there's a lot more going around where there is help if you need, obviously with yeah. the PFA, you know, you can speak to people at the club, but for me personally, I, I've never really needed that help, I've just sort of 
got on with it and got my head round it. Yeah. If no, I've always, if someone's telling me I'm going to be out for 10 weeks, I'll try and get back as quick as I can and do everything I can off the pitch as well as, you know, when I'm at the training ground to, to help improve that as well. I think when I've been speaking to other players and read articles and followed your career, I think one thing you have definitely been associated with is that mindset, your attitude on and off the pitch, your hard work, the resilience. Do you think that's helped you get to the levels that you play at? Yeah, I think obviously it's been probably not your typical journey through an academy or things like that. Yeah. Um, so probably the harder sort of upbringing in football maybe did help me and stuff. And I wouldn't change anything what I've done. You know, I've done things what people could only dream of and what yeah. probably I would never ever thought I would be able to do. And always when I started, I just want to play the highest level possible. If that was going to be the conference, if that was going to be the conference, no, if that would be it, I would give it me all. And obviously I went on to play a lot higher and, you know, I wouldn't change anything for that. There's a lot more highlighted now with the likes of Jamie Vardy's, where people have come from non-league backgrounds, come from grassroots and came all the way through to the top. So what I'd like to have a chat with you about was how your football journey started out. You know, what was it initially got into football and your, your journey beginning at Wars and Boys Club? Yeah, obviously, um, sort of, you know, obviously the as we used to call it, the boys has changed yeah. now it's obviously not there anymore towers but we're just sort of going there and playing the five side in the indoor court and then i think i went to trials and and i think i ended up playing like the year above myself for probably about a few years four or five years and then it was sort of went to newcastle i was playing newcastle sunderland Paul then all at the same time cause yeah that time you could and it was sort of like make a decision end up seeing newcastle walls and then come down where you had to choose between the boys club and New, Newcastle and I ended up choosing the boys club it was just for I was enjoying it more yeah. playing with friends I was young you know it was just sort of probably at the time was the, the right decision and not my age group I think it was like Andy Carroll and stuff like that yeah. when the, you know, the career he's had it's been unbelievable but for me I wouldn't I wouldn't change it the way that I've done it probably the hard way sort of you know like you say, I was only in the academy for probably a couple of years when I was younger. Um, and, you know, the hard work I've had to do was to get myself to that level, you know, it hasn't been easy. What do you think it is about Wales and Boys Club that's produced so many players? I've went on to play at the highest level. You know, you've got your, your standouts, Michael Carricks, and then even when you look down the divisions, you've got players from Wales and Boys Club all the way through. What do you think it is about that club that continues to produce these players? Obviously, a lot of it's got to be the coaching. Yeah. Um, the coaching I had, um, you know, I pretty much had the same manager the full time I was there. You know, Alan Jarvis, I think he still, still does a bit with, yeah. the, with the boys club now. But for me, it was like, it was more like a little family. It was it was crazy, obviously, going to Churchill, you know, festival thing that we yeah. used to go to. It used to be like the highlight of you being at the, at the club and that. But... It was just sort of that mentality where I'm playing for Wolves and like we're going to win. We're going yeah. to steamroll you. It was like didn't matter if we were playing top of the league, bottom of the league, we were going to win. And you know, I think at any job you need that, and I probably took that with me through my career. Where I think you know, I just want to do the best. I certainly remember when I was younger playing in grassroots. How there was that mentality about Wolves and Boys Club. I played at the Boys' for years and years and years, five a side. 
and you know everybody would always say oh he's played for Wales on boys club he plays for Wales on boys club <laughs> and it did have an aura about it and I think that th- there was a kind of a psychological resilience that those players did have and you see a lot of players did go on to be very successful from there who didn't necessarily play in the academy system how do you think they prepared you for the transition into senior football? I don't know it's just the enjoyment just enjoying for me if you're not enjoying something don't do it yeah if you're not enjoying playing football, stop playing. But for me, I loved every training session, going in, you, you were playing with your mates, yeah. you are sort of, everyone wanted to be at Wall's End. Every kid who was my age wanted to be at Wall's End. First thing you go into school on Monday, RC won. So everyone knew what Wall's End had done. Yeah. But like you said, the players that brought through, like to Michael Carrick, obviously Steve Bruce Shearer, it just had that like aura about it, like yeah. you said. And, it was that it was sort of a bit of an arrogance oh well, no one's going to come here and beat us where walls end and it sort of rubbed off not that every, not that we were arrogant as kids yeah. but it was like we don't want to get beat here we don't want to sort of embarrass the boys club and where we didn't put pressure on ourselves it was just sort of just enjoying it and enjoying winning and, and taking them trophies and, and things like that but there's definitely a winning mentality you know I think that's one thing that kind of goes under the radar now we talk a lot about developing the future players and developing resilience and developing them being humble but ultimately football is a game and you want to win <clears throat> and children as much as they need to be exposed to to losing for learning they also need to be exposed to winning and they need to have that mindset and that mentality and you know from an outsider looking in I was never fortunate enough to play for Wars and Boys Club at 11 aside just in the 5 aside but it was kind of oh there's the boys there's Wars End mm-hmm. And, you know, that psychological gains that they had, I think it gives you confidence. It did. It gave everyone confidence. You know, I think there was a lot of us at the time who were at the academy and I'm playing for them. So we were sort of, like, we knew we were good enough. We, we sort of, like you said, had that self-belief. Yeah. That was sort of drummed into you. And, you know, believe, like, you're here for a reason kind of thing. And, you know, we have players there who probably weren't as good, but they had that mentality where... I was like, Ray, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to lose here. I'm, I want to be part of this. And, and people always used to probably up the game as well, playing yeah. against us, which you know, we probably enjoyed as well. So coming to 16, leaving school, what were your choices? Um, I went to Monk Seaton, um, done the sort of, had set up a little academy there, yeah. um, which helped lads get in the pro game and played against pro clubs and they sort of set a link up with Gretna at yeah. the time they were, I think won the Scottish Championship but I remember playing sort of game four amongst it was a trial game against Mansfield so they could have a look at us and I ended up scoring five in the game Sorry, and it was like oh Mansfield want to take on trial and at the time I was probably a bit naive where I didn't know what I was getting into Yeah, and I went down I was living in a sort of B&B with some first team player I didn't even know and I would say, oh, you're sharing with him, that's it, this is what you're doing. And it was just like, I probably didn't settle, I didn't have the right, not that I didn't have the right mindset because I knew what I wanted to do, yeah. but it was that I didn't know what I was expecting. So that yeah. sort of never worked out. And I'd done that year and I ended up going to Gretna and done a year there and sort of the club basically folded. They've got the SBL. Um, the end of that year, they basically said, oh, you, you're not getting a contract. and. I think I'd scored something like 30 odd goals that season. It was like, all right, what, what more do I need to do? Yeah. Just like, we ain't got any money. So I think we can't afford to pay you. 
you can stay but you're not going to get paid and I was like now I'm living away from home so I ended up going home and I remember the call come in I think um, it was the manager at the time said oh will you come back and play in the SPL and I was just like he was like we'll give you a three three month contract with a three month extension to January I was just like it's obviously big so I was going to play yeah. against Celtic Rangers and at the time I'd been trained with Newcastle Blue Star with about five other lads who I'd come from Gretna and it was a choice they were going to play non-league not the prettiest I don't want to play in the SPL and for me it was like I want to go and play I just want to play football and yeah probably at that time I wasn't ready to go and play SPL I was 17 18 I weren't ready I probably would have went up there and not not settled not, yeah. not played I would have been frustrated so I ended up deciding just go and play non-league with friends get back and join football again and obviously it's worked out for the, the best there's a, we've spoken to quite a few people who've had a, a similar story in regards to 16, sent away, got went into digs and have ended up coming back and playing non-league because it was kind of, I don't know if it was, they weren't prepared at 16 year old, you've been living at home, you've been either at a boys club or in an academy, you know, things are pretty settled and all of a sudden completely uprooted, different part of the country, you don't know anybody, expected to be independent do you think there's more they can do to prepare these players to go in the digs? I don't know. Obviously, I don't know what it's like now. With, you know, you speak to a few young lads now with academies and who are in digs, and you know they seem to be getting looked after like they would at home. So yeah, maybe it's changed. Maybe it's, you know things have changed. They've looked in and said, you know, we can't send players to these digs and sort of looking after yourself. I just weren't weren't ready. I just weren't. Yeah, it's sixteen. I probably wasn't ready to move away from home. Because I'd never been in the academy, so for someone then to say, oh, we want to take you, so I was preparing to go to sixth form. Yeah. So for me, mentally, I probably wasn't ready. But then I had that mentality that I, I did want to become a professional footballer, but obviously I was a lot later than the yeah. standard footballer. So for me, it was like, maybe so that when I was younger, then maybe I could have done more. Mm-hmm. But now... You know, you see the academies now, I imagine yeah. they've got like everything set up for them so they have no worries. Yeah, I think that um, it's been a big focus on youth development and how these, with under 23's programme now with the mm-hmm. Premier League 2 and things like that is, I think it is completely different from maybe even just 10 years ago. Yeah. So you've made the decision, you've went to Gretna, things haven't worked out because of obviously what happened with the club, which again was a shock to everybody. Gretna, I think they went almost two or three years unbeaten, just shut up the divisions. Yeah. And then overnight seemed to disappear. You've come back to Blue Star. How long was it before you went to Gateshead? Um, so I'd done that, excuse me, done that season. And I think I scored like 20 odd goals. But I was playing men's football at yeah. 17, 18. And I was, you know, mixing with men. I was you know, getting kicked, which I, I probably needed to toughen myself yeah. up. And I sort of, I was on a contract which was very probably rare back in, at that level yeah. and I was on a, a decent contract for non-league and it was sort of asked you know I want to go and try and play higher and they said well we want money for you and it was just random a, a thing come up to go to Australia and they said oh you can go mm-hmm. and I went out there to Melbourne I think it was there two weeks I played in the trial game I think I scored a few goals in them and the club got wind of it and sort of a few clubs in England were sniffing around and they said that's a stupid money for that time at non-league yeah. so I ended up coming back so it was a short stint in Australia a long way to go for a trial game but 
I ended up coming back and I think that was in the August and September I signed for Gator and then three months later I signed for Huddersfield so it's every I'm you know I'm a big believer everything happens for a reason and you know one minute I'm thinking I'm signing for some Australian team and I'm back playing for Blue Star and then you know I get sold for three and a half grand late <laughs> and then get sold obviously from Gator as well. So was that in League One for Huddersfield? Yeah so Huddersfield were in League One at the time I think there was a few I remember going to training one Tuesday and um Ian Bogey at the time was the yeah. manager and Jeff Wrightson, the assistant. I used to drive in with Jeff. He went, oh, I don't think you're training today, mate. He was like, I think a few clubs are bid for you. So the chem wants to see you. So I remember going in. I was like, there with me boots. <laughs> like, you naive kid. And he was like, no, the chem wants to see you. I'm like, why? He was like, oh, I think at the time, Peter Brass, Scunthorpe, and there was, a, you know, talk of Leeds were interested. And I was just like, I was like, I need to ring my mum and dad. Yeah, so... Like they shot across and had a meeting with the chairman. He was just like, look, we're going to sell you, but we want to sell you to Huddersfield. Um, they're going to loan you back. And at the time, I think it was sort of, I had to be loaned back and it was 150 grand they were paying for us. But at the time, I'd, I'd just signed for Gated three months before for three and a half grand. So I was just like, wow. Like, Did you have an agent? At that time, I just had, I had no it is. I sort of had an inkling that I was going to, get a move because people will keep ringing us saying yeah. oh, I'll represent you I'll do this I'll do that and at the time I was like well, I'm just playing like I'm playing football at Gator with my mates who obviously come close to because I've signed yeah. for and then I end up signing like with some guy and it was probably the worst decision I've ever done in my life if I could change anything in my career I would be never ever the same with that guy again because he absolutely ripped the eyeballs out of me and obviously I was young naive thinking, yeah. I've got an agent this and that and my mum and dad and stepdad didn't know anything at the time yeah. so I was like well if I go honestly I can't take my mum you know I mean? I'm not going to yeah, walk yeah. in and, and sort of into the club and my mum's holding my hand <laughs> she's not going to negotiate a deal so I was like I need an agent and this one guy just stood out don't know he obviously probably talked the best game possible yeah. but looking back I should never ever have done it and that's probably I never ever have regrets but looking back on my career that's only regret yeah. and the guy who I was going to sign with I ended up sign, like signing with about I think it was a couple of years later and I was with him for years and years and then he ended up retiring so but you know I see lads now with agents when they're like 14, 15 I'm like you don't need one no you don't need one because that agent will tell you everything you want to hear yeah when really stuff that you already know there's no need years ago it used to be was it the PFA used to represent players yeah so the PFA obviously represented players so at that time I didn't know if I didn't have an agent they would have sent a representative yeah. for, for me but obviously I'd never been in the pro game I wasn't a member of the PFA I didn't have you know anything like that so I was just a young naive who was basically getting told you're going Huddersfield and I suppose these agents aren't going to tell you that because they want to get their bit out of it as well yeah so you know he's doing it for one reason because he wants to get paid and I imagine he got a nice little pay from the club and no at the time he was taking money from me out of my deal but I just thought it was normal I didn't know anything about that and then when come to to the end of the deal and I signed with this other guy and he was just like this ain't normal mate he's like he's took money off you what should have been coming from the club and yeah. stuff like that so when you look back but for me it was just a learning curve I sort of don't jump in too foot and I think it's a massive bit of advice to be fair because there will be 
young lads out there and young girls that are being approached constantly about representation and you know what is the best thing to do and I suppose they could probably ring the PFA and ask for advice on this 100% um, at the time like I said I didn't really know I'd never really heard of the PFA I'd never been yeah. part of the PFA I'd never been in an academy at, you know 14, 15, 16 so I didn't know about this but obviously if I know now what I knew then then I wouldn't have signed it would different yeah so you got your they moved to Huddersfield and they loaned you back to Gateshead. Was Clark at Huddersfield at the time? Yeah, so Lee Clark signed me, so obviously. <laughs> uh, I remember going down and going down and it was, obviously I was meeting this agent down there and met Lee Clark, Terry McDermott, Derek Fazagli and uh, Paul Stevenson. We all had stuff in common, it just yeah. clicked straight away. Obviously Lee and, and Paul were from sort of the same area I was yeah. brought up. So... And, and Steve actually knows some of my family so it was a bit weird and it, it, it was just class like from obviously I'm sat in front of the office like in front of my hero like yeah. who I watch but then getting to work with him it, it was class and he just said like you know part of the deal is you, you're going back we want you to play we're going to keep an eye on you you train you a few times a week and, and it was class it probably toughened me up as well because I got to still play at a high level for yeah. my age but then I still got to train. I was coming back training with sort of ex-Premier League players like David Unsworth and stuff like that, who I quickly realised, like, I need to toughen up, otherwise I ain't yeah. going to be ready for this when I go in and pre-season. And you had a, a prolific season at Gateshead. Yeah, so I think um, I think I scored 30-odd goals that year, which was max. I didn't score, I think, for the first five or six games. Mm-hmm. And obviously going to the new club, you want to hit the ground run. Yeah. I always remember this one game we were on the bus, was against someone like Vauxhall Motors or something like that we were playing and Bogue said at the time he was like don't worry he'll score he'll just come in off your backside he'll just yeah. roll and he'll stay and that's literally what happened someone shot come back with the keeper hit me on the back of the leg and went in and I think the next week I scored nine in a week that's and it was just bad, like alright I, I need to keep going yeah and I think probably that belief what they put in me like yeah. Bogues and Jeff from such a young age was obviously massive for me like playing with good players as well because obviously I stepped up and like in Newcastle Blues so like I played with Robbo yeah and Robbo was probably head and shoulders above me obviously he's all that but his ability was obviously a lot more than mine and like I just thought like I'm not ready sort mm-hmm. of for that pro game obviously looking at Robbo who I'd been yeah been at that your... level and probably I was young probably I need to be stronger mentally, physically, and work on stuff. And probably until I went to Gated, I didn't believe that I could 100% get that level. I yeah. always thought in the back of my head, I'm, I'm good enough. But deep down, I probably had them doubts. But once I got to Gated, I thought, I'm not letting this slip now. And then I knew if clubs were watching me because of the agents ringing. Yeah. So it was a case of, right, I need to keep working hard and keep, keep doing what getting people to watch me and then like I said I scored nine in a week and I think the next I think one of the games I scored five I scored like the quickest hat rig in non-league history so I think it was like under three minutes at the time and I think that's when people that's more than when I sort of believe that I'm yeah. good enough I can go and play at this level and I had sort of lads I, I was travelling with at the time like Chris Gate and Chris Baxter who I've been at Newcastle for years and they were like you know you're good enough like you'll get a move and obviously with Jeff and the things that's speaking in you, you sort of half take it in, and then when obviously you, you see the club's bidding for you, like right, this is real now. And obviously I went to Huddersfield, and I remember 
in pre-season. I scored seven in pre-season, my first pre-season. And I remember the gaff at the time, Lee, Lee Clark, mm-hmm. pulled me and saying, oh, this isn't going to be like eight, you're not going to play every game. And I was just like, you know, for all I want to do is play football. Yeah. And he was like, but we're not going to let you go on loan, we're going to keep you here. Because I think at the time, they only one fancy to get promoted. Yeah. So I think there was teams in League Two and Conference who wanted to take me. And he was like, you're not going. I was just like, all right, okay. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to play, I need to do something. So yeah. I thought, I'm going to work on... And I just worked non-stop after training and, you know, week foot, finishing. Still to this day now, always, if there's finishing to be done after training, I'll be yeah. there, I'll be the, you know, sort of front of the line. And I need to toughen up as well. So I, I remember going to the fitness coach at the time, Steve Black, and saying I need to get stronger. And I worked with him one-on-one for months to get stronger, but... The conversation will sort of put things in pers- like perspective for me. For well, I've come here to play. I'm gonna play. I'm not bothered if I've come from non-league. Yeah, I'm gonna play and end up scoring seven that pre-season. Then I think sort of the first game was on the bench. We're gonna be two 0 and he said, "Are oh, you going on?" And for me, I was fourth, fifth choice striker at the time, and we ended up drawing two two. And I played a massive part. And then the Tuesday, I started in the cup, done well. It's sort of like a snowball effect, just kept believing and believing. Yeah. I thought, I deserve to be here, so I'm, I want to play. And I ended up becoming like me and Jordan Rhodes. Sort of just hit it off and had this partnership. And the lads who were probably on mega money, more than what I was on, won the bench. Mm-hmm. And that's when sort of, for me, I believed that I deserved to be at that level. And I had that mentality where I wouldn't bother, no one was going to get me shirt. If I'd done something wrong, I'd work hard if I was having a bad game, no matter what, I'd always work hard. Jordan Roses went on to have a, a pretty good career as well. What was it like with that partnership? It was it was weird because we had never ever played together. Yeah. During the whole of pre-season, we never played together. It was sort of because I was like probably four or fifth choice. I was like getting ten minutes for the first team, yeah. going playing for the reserves with a young lad. And it just sort of clicked. Remember we played, I think we played Southampton and it we won 3-0 and literally everything we done just worked. We read where each other were going. Yeah. And from there, it literally, it, it was just one of them things. And how did that partnership work on the pitch? Was it was he more of a target man and you would play off him and do a bit more of the running or was it kind of you both would do a similar Yeah, role? both just similar. You know, I, I think the keeper, so the keeper at the time knew if you kicked to one of us, the other one would be sort of yeah. playing off and vice versa. And, it was just like that and we were close off the pitch as well so I think yeah. that helped as well. You hear that a lot I think you see it with um, Andy Cullen Dwight, Dwight York they were like that mm-hmm. we just clicked. Going back to when you are talking about with Bogues and then going over to Huddersfield how much importance do you think the likes of Ian Bogie played in giving you that confidence that helped you get to that next level? Massive like because obviously at the time I was playing I think it was classes like the Unibond yeah. so it was sort of few levels above the sort of northern league is now and so when I spoke to him he said come here enjoy it we play good football you just score goals and obviously I didn't score goals straight away yeah but he still believed he had players there that, that had done it for him mm-hmm. and who at the time were probably better physically developed and probably better players but I just thought you know what it is he showed me back and I I'm just going to work hard and I didn't work at the time so it was like how can I get better and I you know I worked hard in the gym you know I sort of worked on stuff what 
I need to improve on. Yeah. Like I said, I got the look of the where once went in off my backside and so that, that just set the ball rolling. But Bogues and Jeff were like massive like confidence booster for me as well. And these people must have seen something in you when you consider you were Gretna seen something that you wanted to come back and play in the SPL. In Bogey, one of the most experienced guys out there in the northeast, he's seen some Tina at Gateshead, and then Terry McDermott and Lee Clark, who who have both played at the highest possible level, mm-hmm. to see something in you. So even when you didn't have that massive confidence <coughs> in yourself at first, they've seen something in you. Did they ever say what it was, what they've seen in you, what they thought was your, your strongest assets? Obviously, the strike that's got to be finishing. Yeah. I mean, sort of no coincidence that Blue Star scored 20 odd goals. Yeah. I went to Gateshead, the level, few levels above, scored 30 odd. And then first level, first season at Huddersfield, I think I scored, you know, 40 and 15 from a lad who come from sort of the Conference North. It, it was obviously massive. So I think as well that it just worked hard. Like if mm-hmm. I knew, I remember like when I when I was saying about when I was at um, Gateshead, I used to train with Huddersfield sometimes. Yeah. And they'd be like, sort of, I remember the first session, I had David Unsworth and Chris Lachetti, the two centre-backs I was playing against. Played in the Prem all the career. Yeah. And I went to spin in behind, they just blocked me. I was, I was literally like a little baby trying to get past them. And I thought, I need to be stronger and I need to do this. So I literally, all that from January to sort of June when we went back, I just worked and worked in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I'm going a few kilos sort of heavier back what and what they told me to do and it was like I need to be at the front of this running so I had that mentality where I wanted to be at the front but yeah. I wanted to be noticed so whether they seen that hard work and obviously dedication as well so it's all because non-league players probably got that tag loves a drink loves yeah, this yeah. loves a night out oh we're gonna have to keep ironing but I was I was obviously young yeah. as well for playing that level so it wasn't the case of that I just literally wanted to be a pro footballer How old were you when you went Huddersfield? I think I signed when I was 19 I think Yeah So I so was still so very young So I was young in football terms but I was getting at that age where I needed to make a decision yeah. what I was going to do was I going to get sort of become a footballer or get a job and I remember that I was with Chris Gay like I said who we drove in with and he had just signed up for a personal training course and I was like I think I need to do something like this. So yeah. I remember getting all the information, and then two weeks later, I went to went to St. Fordersfield for at the time a non non league record fee of 150 grand. So it was just sort of I think time's a massive thing for me, but you know I, I say hard work all the time for me. That's I still use that to this day. Yeah. Is there anything that because you've had as I say you've had a very good season this season so far until the injury. Is there anything that if you could go back and tell your 19-year-old self now that the advice you would give him? Don't sing with that age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. Do you know what it is? I never look back on my career with regrets. Yeah. Because I've done stuff. I've played at Wembley. I've been promoted. Probably the worst case would be getting relegated in a season. Yeah. But, you know, I never ever want to look back on my career. I never ever want to look back and blame someone else. Yeah. I never want to be one of them lads that say, I could have done that, I could yeah, have done this. Yeah. Because I know loads of lads, oh, I could have been that, I could have done this. Well, why didn't you? But I think you've taken responsibility for that. It's probably what's taking you to the level that you're at. 
Yeah, a, we do live in a society where there's an excuse culture. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who say, oh, I had trials here, oh, I could have yeah. done this, I could have done that. Well, the reality is, and this is something that Chris Wilder said as well, you didn't do that. Exactly. So, either put up or shut up. Exactly. For me, it was, like I said, I, I never look back and I have regrets apart from that one, what yeah. I said, but football in terms, I don't have so any... on the pitch, no regrets? Never. Sort of, never... Never look back and thought, I wish I'd done that differently. I wish I'd have done that. Maybe sometimes when clubs have been interested at a high level, I probably could have pushed things. Yeah. And being that bit of a bad egg, but it's just not in my nature to do that. Yeah. So I'm not going to change who I am and where I've come from, just sort of do that. Probably, maybe there's a couple of times where I've been told, you need to go on and do this. But when you're younger and you've come from the level I've come at, I'm not wanting to go and sort of bang on the man just on and say, yeah. I want this, I want, I want to go here. Probably appreciate it a bit more. Yeah, because you've had definitely. to work that and be harder for it. Yeah, obviously the level that we were at, it was take a pack lunch of the game. Yeah, have stop off. You know, I remember coming back from non-league games, lads. Where I'm cans on the back of the bus, yeah. and that was that non-league mentality of a player where I wasn't sort of that normal non-league mentality. Yeah, where I wasn't having a can, I was probably sitting with like a water or something like yeah. that, which is you know at the time probably lads. Oh, look at that weirdo, you know, but. Because I was the odd one out, not odd that I didn't get on. I got on great with yeah, everyone. Yeah, you had a different mentality. Of was, yeah, my mentality was different. Everyone else's where I'd be like, I don't want to do that. I want to get out of this club. I want to leave. Then I sort of had that selfishness where I think every player needs that, yeah. no matter what age or where you've got to look after yourself as well. But you need to know that you're doing everything for your team as well. Because I've seen quite a bit with what I've done over the last few years and. With Rob, we were fortunate to win the, the National Cup, National Schools Cup a couple of years ago with the under-18s lads. Mm-hmm. And we had such a talented group of players. But I see a lot of players where I see it's 16, 17, and I think, you know, they've still got a chance. Mm-hmm. If they get their head down and they get in a non-league yeah. and they make their way, sort of way back up, they've got a chance. And then you, you bump into them a couple of years later and they're like, oh, I don't play anymore. Oh. And, I just, and I think, you know, you're not as far away from it as what you think. And sometimes we hear whispers at the certain clubs looking at the lads in the mm-hmm. non-league and the lads don't find out and they'll kind of, in the, as I say, the next, before you know it, they're kind of like, oh, it wasn't for me anymore. I got a job and I wanted to do yeah. this and want to do that. But I suppose there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make if you want to try to get to the very top. Yeah, there is. Obviously, it's a job everyone wants. Yeah. And it's probably the hardest job to keep yeah. because there's always someone wanting to take your place. Yeah. Imagine there's some someone in that my team. If I get back and get back in the team, they're gonna be one of the team my place. But for me, it was like I didn't want to be one of them lads. Yeah. But like, oh, I had trials here. I had trials there. So what? You didn't do it. Exactly. No one. You can't. If you're not good enough, you're not good enough. But never blame someone else. For for me, I never want to look back and say, oh, it was his fault. I didn't go there. It was his fault. I didn't do this. I just want to take responsibility for me, my career that I can look back whenever I finish, if that's, you know, now, <laughs> if it's in five years' time, yeah. and have no regrets. I just didn't want to be one of them lads from the area I've come from, I know lads there, who probably had more ability than me, yeah. but, you know, I seen Robbo's bit the other day where he said that his ability was up here, but his mentality was down here, yeah. where I had ability, but my mentality was up here, where I thought no one's going to take the opportunity away from me, where... Like where Lee Clark said, oh, you're not going to play much. And I was like, sort of had that where I was, well, I, I am going to play yeah. and I'll prove you wrong. And I ended up getting in the team a couple of weeks later and I was playing against sort of Southampton. 
Because I think an example that I often use is I'm a Wars End lad. You know, I went to I went to Burnside, so a couple of years above me had Michael Carrick. Mm-hmm. And don't get us wrong, those that say, oh, Michael Carrick, he was, yeah, he, he got to the very top, he wasn't great. He was, he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He was a standout player, but never once when I saw him play when I was younger that I think he's going to go in the Champions League, yeah. he's going to play for England and Man United. Mm-hmm. And even when he first went to West Ham, you know, you watched him play and I thought, oh, he's a good player, he's a good player. And then he went to Spurs and then he got better and better and better. And I think that mentality and you can tell he's the type of person that he's lived the right life, mm-hmm. he's lived the footballer's life. <coughs> you know, he's never been in the in the limelight. He seems to have always been the best physical shape he can be in. He's very disciplined. And I think a lot of people can look at that as in, and kind of think, you know, there is a pathway there, but I've got to really, really want it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I see my mates going out at the weekend, I've got to say to myself, well, their intentions are different than mine. Uh, I can't go out with you. Yeah. You know, I've got football this weekend. You know, I can't have a drink tonight. I've got training tomorrow. And about making them sacrifices. And I don't, I don't think it's easy. I think there's a lot of PR pressure as well. You do, obviously... Because your mates have got so-called normal jobs, yeah. where you're not in that normal industry, that as people say. But for me, it was being selfish. I was like, well, you know, I've I've seen where mates are brown. I'll go into town. He come in. I say, well, no, I've got a game Tuesday. Yeah. So it's Saturday. I say, well, yeah, but it matters for me. It's my job. I turn up Tuesday and I have a bad game. I I may not get back on that team. Yeah. So was having that like like you said like Carrick like way. You probably do cut yourself off a bit from your friends and yeah but if the proper friends they'll understand yeah. and, and for me i've got a small group of friends who will i literally would trust me life with yeah. who've been there from the start and who understand and if i said oh i'm not drinking tonight they'd be like all right that's fine like it doesn't matter but then you do get some who are oh, like is it in football terms oh he's a busy guy and he won't he won't have a drink like yeah. just have a drink relax and say well i can it this is my job this one i'm getting paid for and I thought, like, obviously come from non-league as well, it was like, I need to change that sort of yeah, non-league mentality. mentality and have that professional side where I sort of did change it. everything, changed my diet, everything, like, the way I'd done things and the way I looked out on, obviously, football. Because I'd never been involved in a pro club. Yeah. So for me, it was like, is this really what happens? So I need to change my ways to obviously adapt to this as well, which I think, obviously... You know, to this day, I still use. How much of a role in support did your parents play? Huge. Um, obviously, from starting at a young age, from the boys' club, you know, like, when you start out with your dad, yeah. you know, my dad, stepdad, stepdad drive me to, obviously, every every session, every game, yeah. every, all over Newcastle. So, they've been huge, and they're still huge to this day. You know, I still, my dad's probably the biggest critic, if I don't score, or you didn't score today. <laughs> Yeah, but I set up to now, but you in squad. It's just like it's always going to be like that. Yeah. Where my mum and stepdad are probably the softer side, my dad's the harder side, which you know I've got, which I like. Yeah. And I would always want someone to be honest with me. And my brother-in-law's the same. He obviously played for Shields as well. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I thought you done well. Eh? You should have scored though. Which I like. I, I don't. I don't want to be so yeah. one who. You don't want to be wrapped in cotton. Yeah, more. literally. If. if if I've had a bad game, I know I've had a bad game, but if you said that, I'd take it. Like, it does bother me. I suppose me. as well, you know, it helps build resilience, but I also think it's about how people give you that feedback, mm-hmm. how they critique you. Yeah. I think it's okay critiquing somebody 
um, if you're coming from an educated side of the critique where you can see them, but you understand the game, you can see, oh, what happened at that point, they can have a conversation. I think some players go the opposite way where they can't handle the critique. I think my mum was probably the worst, where still to this day it doesn't bother me. It can, I'm never ever going to please anyone. Yeah. I can't please everyone. I could score, I remember scoring a hat trick in a game, but someone said, oh, you should score four. I've just scored a hat trick. Yeah, there's always going to be somebody. And like, at the start, I would say probably because I sort of went from here and ended up going up. Yeah. My sort of mum couldn't deal with it. It was like, oh, someone's writing this. I was like, don't read it. Yeah. Bothered. Like, still this day, people will be writing rubbish about me and I do not care, literally hand on heart, do not care what people think because in my head, I know I'm good enough. And I know if I miss a chance, I'll yeah. get another one and I will score. Well, you've proven it already. You know, yeah. you've played the highest standard really and you know what he's achieved at Huddersfield I think Clark had an amazing season there you know when he's got promoted and then you've went on to Birmingham City and have a massive club what was that like? It was huge it was it was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make in yeah. football in football in terms because I'd got offered a new deal at Huddersfield and obviously Lee got the job at Birmingham yeah and he, he obviously rang and said I know you have a contract I want to sign you he had a massive influence on my career. He probably yeah. shaped the way my career would go because he'd had, he took the chance from non-league because it was a big chance because no one knew which way it was going to go because you see players now where they go in and they just drop back in non-league and yeah. I didn't want to be like that. So, in sport, especially if like a club the size of Birmingham, it's huge and that opportunity ain't going, to, ain't going to come up like often. So I just thought, you know what, well, I want to do it. And... Looking back, I had a great time for a season there. I finished top scorer. Yeah. And not many players can say that. And probably from there, Lee lost his job. Yeah. Gary Brown would come in and I just wasn't for him. Yeah. Which is fair enough. He told me that. Which, but at the time, my wife was heavily pregnant. We were first child. And, and I was just like, what do I do? He said, I, I remember the conversation. He was like, Millwall have come in on loan for you. Miss was like eight months pregnant. Yeah. I was like, I can't go. And they, I told him the, the situation. He was like, don't go. He said, do not go. He's like, stay here, train my bus. Yeah. So you can, when we're not playing. But then it's sort of, we had a sort of got back in the fold. Yeah. And then January coming, I was sort of back out again. So I ended up going to Chesterfield on loan, which he like forced and helped me do. And yeah. the way Birmingham helped, obviously Chesterfield weren't going to pay a lot of me wages and Birmingham helped with that. Yeah. So, for that, it was massive for me. So even, you know, a new manager comes in, you're not his cup of tea, but he still supported you through, you know, what you were going through with, with childbirth with your wife and you didn't really want to move down to London. It was a big deal. And did that mean a lot to have a manager support, even though you knew in the back of your head, I'm not his cup of tea, but he's still going out of his way to help us? Yeah, like, he was just honest. And I think anyone in any way of life just wants honesty. Yeah. And if someone's going to sort of fill you with a say oh yeah I'm going to do this but he actually doesn't do it and you end up sort of resenting him and to this day I would never ever have a bad word to say about him about Gary Rowett who yeah. at the end of the day didn't want me to play so what was that conversation like when he was to tell you that you went in his plans it was obviously tough because I sort of got the idea I played a couple was out was yeah. on the bench and I just went and seen him and just said look am I going to play and he's like I want you involved but you're probably not going to play as much as you want to play I just want to play football Yeah, that's what I'm paid to do I don't want to just sit there pick up a way it's pointless for me so 
I just said, well, can I go out on loan? And he said, if something comes up. And then you got me in literally the next day and said, Millwall's come in on loan. And I explained the situation. I was yeah. like, I don't want to go. Even though I want to go and play football, it was hard to say. And he just said, right. He said, leave it with me. Next thing, five days, I end up going to Chesterfield, mm-hmm. which obviously worked out massively for me. But as a player, all you want is honesty. And I think that's through any level. You just want someone to say, tell you how it is. So you went on Chesterfield on loan, and how was that move? Yeah, it was good. Um, I, you know, I scored a few goals. Yeah, I had a good season. At one point, Birmingham were going to call me back, and I was just like, I don't want to come back. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. I don't want to come back not to play. Yeah, because like I said, I just want to play football, and he understood. Like I was going to, he was saying, "Oh, you're going to play a bit part," and just not what I wanted to do. I didn't yeah. work me sort of nuts off to get to be sat on the bench, sat yeah. on the stand, that's not what I wanted to do. And he ended up leaving me, I ended up, you know, I sort of had three years of charter, Birmingham two, obviously I was involved in one, I went on loan to, yeah. charter, uh, to Ch- Chesterfield with. And I think it's an admirable thing that you wanted to play football. You know, there's you do see players that are happy just to pick up the wage mm-hmm. and play in a higher division and... You, you, you look at them and you think, you know, you could have had a top career somewhere else and they just sit there and I think before you know it, your career flashes before your eyes as well. It's, for me, it's a bit of like arrogance mm-hmm. where I, I didn't have that and I still don't have that. Yeah. Someone said me, a team in the, for, if Bradford, you know, for some reason they didn't want me and said a team in conference once year, I would always have that conversation. It might not be for me, but yeah. I haven't got that arrogance where I wouldn't go and play. Like I was dropping down from Birmingham, I was dropping down to Chesterfield and, didn't bother me. Yeah, I just wanted to play football, and still this day I just want to play football the highest level possible. If Chesterfield was going to be the highest level possible I could play at that time, then yeah. I was going to play it. What would you say is the highlight of your career? Probably getting promoted from Wembley with Huddersfield. Yeah. It probably was the worst game, worst playoff final ever. It was nil nil, and end up going right the way through the keepers from the penalty shootout. We end up winning, but just having that feeling of playing at Wembley. No one's ever, ever going to be able to yeah. take that away from us. Especially such a big game. A huge game. I remember, like, I've got the shirt up and at home, like, my shirt and then Harry Maguire's shirt. He was a centre-back at the time. So, you know, I look back and no one's ever, ever going to be able to take that away yeah. from us from what I've done. Did you take a penalty? No, I cramped up at home for a minute. <laughs> and I was our penalty take as well. So I was saying, don't take me off. But I was, my legs were gone. gone. It was just, it was roast and hot been a long season as well yeah long season and to me when I look back I wish I had got to take one but but me to be fair we were about this the other, other week when I was with uh, mums so I'm so glad he didn't take one so I'm not sure my nerves would have oh. would have held up and I remember like I was like my dad oh, I've got your ticket he said I don't want to come me, my dad never come to the game he said I just can't he said I'll watch it on telly yeah. So he didn't want to come. He said, like, I can't watch it. If that goes to penalties, and he said, if it goes to penalties, I won't be able to watch. So, but obviously it was unbelievable day. I had the amount of family I had there and friends. It was class. And if we look at your career now, you know, we, start, we spoke about it earlier on at Bradford City, another massive club. Um, something we touched on before we had the cameras on was how different it's been playing without a crowd. Yeah, it's obviously... You played what is it 10, 10 years well to be fair since you were a kid with fans I, yeah it, you know starting at Walls End and then 
last year obviously the COVID hits and the season gets stopped and there's no fans there and it's, it's just not the same obviously football is fans it's yeah. it's a fan based thing you know it's, it's like everyone says the game isn't the same without the fans and it's not two games this year we've had fans in but it's been like sort of limited capacity and it was alright it was better than nothing but yeah. it ain't the same like you know for us the sooner we can get fans in especially a club the size of Bradford Yes, I suppose with you being the number nine, the centre forward as well, that relationship you have with fans when you score the goals, you know, that's something that you haven't really had the opportunity to build with them just yet. No, so I signed in the deadline day, sort of before COVID hit in January, and yeah. I think I only played about four or five games with the fans, and I scored in two or three of them, and it was unbelievable, but... Mine play with fans since, yeah. so it, it's mad. Sort of, I've been there for a while, but I've actually only played five games in front of them, which is obviously not good enough. And what was that like a transfer deadline day? Trans, they getting moved across. How quick did that transpire and come about? That's the third one I've done on deadline day. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, to be fair, the worst was probably when I left Charlton and went to Scunthorpe. Yeah. I had to get from Charlton to Scunthorpe and had five hours, five six hours and. Could they not do the medical in that in London? So they wanted me up there to do the medical. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, right, you need to get up. I remember sitting waiting, because I knew it was close. Yeah. And I was like, my agent, should I set off? He was like, no, no, hold fire in case it doesn't get done. And it got done. It was like, right. I remember going upstairs and literally just going like that with a clothes in a case. And my wife just like that, getting the baby sorted. And I was just like, wow, well, I was just like, this is what it's come to. So it got there. I think I had an hour and a half to to spare and end up like obviously getting it done but then when I signed for Huddersfield from Gator that was deadline day and obviously I went on from Scunthorpe to Bradford which was deadline day but it's obviously a lot more chill it was yeah I went there in the morning but they had to get the deal done by 12 o'clock for me to play the next day but it, it ended up didn't get done and yeah. the manager who signed me on the Friday was sacked on the Monday so I actually never got a training session with him <laughs> <laughs> he's just got the sulfur job today but yeah I've seen that it's uh, Gary Neville you know I don't want to speak he's a great presenter you know great pundit and he had a great career at Man United but he's he's not shy of uh, of chopping the manager at Salford. I think he's he was talking about I think Jamie, uh, Jamie Carragher even tweeted yesterday about he was saying that managers shouldn't be sacked straight away they need two or three years and then he's went and sacked the manager after he hasn't won in four. Yeah, I think after like, just won the AFL trophy I know, last week as well. I mean. So I think like from when I started, managers will, will get at least a season. Yeah. But now it's like you don't win your first five, six games, you're under pressure straight away. And our manager got sacked this season and it's obviously hard, like football's just become ruthless industry industry. Yeah. It's like people are running it like a business now, which is obviously not good for fans as well. What's it like from the inside? And especially, I suppose, one of the most difficult ones would have been when Clarkie got sacked from Birmingham. You know, what's it like when you're finding out that your manager, especially if you've got a good relationship with them, is going to be leaving? Like Clarkie, obviously, he got sacked at Huddersfield as well. And that was that was probably the hardest one. Yeah. Because I think we were third in the league or fourth in the league. And we got beat off Sheffield United the day before. So no it's, one it seemed to come out of nowhere, didn't it? So I remember waking up, we had the day off the next day. And when the players, Gary Naismith, ran, I was like, you need to come to the ground. The gaffer's being sacked. And to be fair, that's a fit. 
you could see that he was emotional because he had literally put that team together yeah. and he cared like a little family. So that was hard, but Birmingham, we were sort of on a bad run where, you know, if you keep that bad run going, the manager's going to pay the penalty and you end up doing that. And it's obviously not nice to say any manager loses his job. Have you got any aspirations of going into management? No, nah, it's something that's not really sort of come across my head to, yeah. to go into management or coaching. Obviously, I've got a couple of coaching pages, what you do, but yeah. I sort of something that hasn't really come into my head to do. Sort of quite like the agency side, I think, more the fact because when I was younger, of what happened. What happened to you, yeah, So I, I would never, ever want that to happen to some, some young lad again who's starting out in the game. And, yeah. You know, I, I would like that advice. I'm like, sort of my agent now, who's a friend, he's always said that, that that would be where he would see me going working with him, yeah. which, but I never say never. I, I wouldn't mind sort of the non league because and help coaching players who yeah. you can see have got ability which can go higher. I've I've seen like I've been watching off shields obviously when my brother in law played there. Yeah. And some of them had ability and it's probably like you said about the mentality side of it that they haven't quite got which probably stops them progressing. I think it's a massive thing, you know. I do get a lot to watch a lot of non league football. I go down to see North Shields because I'm good friends with Nashi. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously Robbo was there mm-hmm. and I also go up and watch Ashton with Ian Skinner and that and you do you see some players and you just think wow you know how are they at this level mm-hmm. but again it's that mentality the consistency the ruthlessness of it as well some people can't handle the pressure yeah. um, but I suppose they're still getting paid they're still playing football at a decent level they still seem to enjoy it it's good to see people stay in the game mm-hmm. as well From like you said the the ruthlessness and the pressure like even when I went from non league to there I never felt pressure yeah which is probably weird a probably weird thing like when we went to Wembley or I remember my mate saying you're nervous saying nah for some reason I don't get nervous yeah. still to this day I just don't get nervous I see lads who'll have like little routines which I have my own routines what I do but yeah I'm never ever nervous like I'm confident that I'm good enough to do something. Yeah. So I don't get why I'd be nervous about doing that. And, and obviously, I'm playing that level for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always believe in myself that I'm good enough to do something in that game, whether it's score goal or whether it's, you know, I'll always work hard. One thing, if I'm having a bad game, which I've had many, I'll, I'll always work hard. That's one thing I would never... You can't dwell on it. I think that's really no, important. Never, ever... I'll always watch clips back, good or bad, and by Monday I'll be like, right, what's next? Back in the training. I think, you know, something that, especially in the academy that we, we look at with the players is, you know, everybody can have a bad game. You're human. You know, some of the best players in the world have had bad games. You know, we've, we've all seen Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi have a bad game. No, nobody can be perfect every week, but I think it's always, it's about the intention. You know, did they try? Did he give 100%? Yeah. Were your intentions right in the game? And he can excuse it. I think there's some players that maybe don't get to the top. The reason they've had a bad game is because they haven't put a shift in. Yeah. And I don't think there's an excuse for that. I think it's inexcusable. And some we've got... With the mindset now, I think, in football is completely different. Young players, I think they need to realise that if you want to be the best, you've got to act the best. You've got to give 100% in training. You've got to give 100% in every game. And you can't look at examples of players from a bygone era like a Paul Gascoigne and say he wasn't the greatest trainer. 
A, things have changed now. You won't get through an academy system. You won't get to the very top if you don't try. And B, Paul Gascoigne's one of the greatest footballers this England's ever produced. Yeah. You can't compare yourself to people like that. I remember having this conversation just last week with a lad at Bradford, probably similar age to me, and we're, we're just talking about, like, obviously, from the young pros now yeah. to what, when we were both young pros, and it's so different. Yeah. Obviously, the game's changed. I get that. The social media thing is all it's different from when I was young to it is now, but you should still have that same mentality if no one's going to outwork me. Yeah. I had that from non-league to still this day. Till the day I stop playing, I will always have that mentality. I might have five terrible games in the bounce, but one thing no one will ever be able to say is, you didn't work hard, you yeah. didn't try. I think if you're getting hit with that brush, you're not, you're not trying. It's probably the worst thing in our industry. Yeah. That, oh, he doesn't try him, but he's got loads of ability. Yeah, but oh, he doesn't work for the team. So what he used to say to me, I think if, I don't know if you've seen the, the Tottenham Hotspur documentary mm-hmm. where Mourinho calls Deli Alli out mm-hmm. in front of the whole team. Yeah. For me, I think that when I look at Deli Alli, I think Deli Alli looks mortified. I know it, it doesn't come across mm-hmm. like the, he doesn't start shouting and bawling, but he looks to me mortified. He looks like the gaffers just called us out in front of the whole squad mm-hmm. and called us lazy, um, which is which I think is it's a it's a big deal, and you, you'd see off the back of that. You know, he's barely kicked a ball for Tottenham in the last 18 months. For me, no one sees what happens behind closed doors. Yeah. So, everyone's saying Deli Alli got so much ability, you can't doubt that, but no one sees the way he trains. Yeah. No one sees what happens. Like, every fan's going to think, why isn't Deli Alli playing? Why isn't Bale playing? No one's saying what they're doing day to day. Yeah. But, I, for me, if a manager has a problem with someone, like he did with Deli Alli in that documentary, yeah. you should call it out. And if I, me as a senior player now in our dressing room, if I had a problem with someone and I've done it, yeah. I would tell them. But I'm not telling them because I'm sort of picking them out. Like if you hadn't hadn't tried, yeah. I, it wouldn't matter if you were older than me or younger than me, I would dig you out and I would say, you know, like, why the, why aren't you trying? Yeah. And I think you you get that respect more when you because you're doing it for the team. And don't get me wrong, I've had fallouts with players, but after the game we'll go and get a coffee, we'll go and have a beer it's nothing personal it's just because you've got that winning mentality where you want to win you want to be the best where now some younger lads don't have that which is obviously hard for senior lads to look at and and see I'd imagine it'd be extremely frustrating it is but I've played with lads who've got who have that sort of chip on the shoulder because they know they're that good yeah and I've played with lads who probably haven't got as much ability but we'll, we'll run through a brick wall for you. And it's generally them ones that you're fine. Maybe I'll have a better career. Yeah. I always hear people are going about Ravel Morrison and Lee Clark. always used to mention him at Birmingham and he was there just before and they said he had the best ability ever. But he just didn't work hard, which is obviously not a nice tag to have. And yeah. Obviously, like, no one sees what happens. They are, I can only speak from, you know, like, yeah. seen articles about him, but... When I've played and seen him, seen him play, he's unbelievable. I think you know the player that more recently was getting dug out by fans and etc. was Jesse Lingard. About I played with Jesse. And it, it 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 turns out that Jesse's had a lot going on in his mm-hmm. personal life, a lot. He's got a lot of responsibility away from football, 
and now he's went to West Ham and he's kind of the shackles are off he's got that he's got that off his back you know and mm. he's back in the England squad his ability is unbelievable when we, when I played with him he scored four in his debut for Birmingham and it was like that when I say I look back on my career I'll always yeah. be able to say I played with these type of players and people might say oh you weren't good enough you weren't good enough to play but I've done it yeah so I can't play this many games at that level and someone say I'm not good enough because I know I am. And like, you know, I said about the abuse that Jesse was getting, I sort of had similar charm when I went. I didn't have a good start. I had a couple of injuries and it sort of, everything that seemed to happen was my fault. Yeah. But that didn't bother me. People yeah. could send me messages in there. I wasn't bothered. I just had that mentality where it doesn't, doesn't bother me. You can write stuff, whatever you want. Still to this day, like I've said it, I'm not bothered about it. It's something that's been highlighted quite a bit lately in the press is social media mm-hmm. and how the impact that it has now on the modern game. And you mentioned earlier when we were speaking before the podcast about that you have been sent personal messages over social media. Do you think there's more that could be done to not only combat what's happening on social media but to help educate young players about social media use? Yeah, like, you know, I think... Well, I didn't have any like sort of media training, any social media yeah. training, but as a as a human, you know what's good and what's not good. Yeah. These know these people know what they're saying. They know what they're doing. Yeah. I find like the abuse that I had personally was always seemed to be younger kids. Yeah. Who if you seen them in the street They wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't say anything. No. They're probably not old enough to be out without the moms. Like I had one probably about five months ago. I mean I wouldn't say what he said. He yeah. must have been about 14, saying I was this and that, in the words he was using, because I'd left Scunthorpe, but I'd left Scunthorpe last January, but yeah. he'd just obviously been bored, for I'm going to send him abuse, and so like, why, what are you gaining from that, mm-hmm. it's just like, there's no need, like, so for me, there should be, like, learn about the verification now of social media, where yeah. people need to verify who they are, the ages and things there, which I think it should, because... You say like the Bellingham shed thing the other day. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely shocking. And you know, we had we happened the other night again with Fred yeah. in Manchester United. Uh, you had the thing with Jude Bellingham last week. It's it's frightening what's what's being said and the, the way things the way things are transpiring. And with somebody like Jude Bellingham as well, he's, he's only a kid himself. He's, he's a kid, and you know the, the things that he's receiving, it, it's ridiculous and. I don't know how he is, sort of, if he's got the same mentality as me, where he ain't bothered, like, people can write that, people can say, oh, he's not good enough, he's rubbish, he's, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. Bothered, like. But we're both parents, exactly. imagine the thought of our children receiving abuse when they're, they, they're as young as Jude hey, Bam or somebody. I've said about my family, what, it's absolutely ridiculous what yeah. I said before we yeah. come on, and, you know, you, you wouldn't send it to your worst enemy, no. you're doing that about the game where it was, what he was on about. I wasn't even in the match day squad, so he's blaming me for this and saying this and that about my family, but I wasn't even there. So if he's saying that, why why all of a sudden does he feel the need to come for me? And I think the a deeper way of looking at it and probably is something that hasn't been highlighted as much as what's going on in these child in this child's life, a fourteen year old child, where he feels he has to send messages like that. You know, is this stuff going on in his own life that needs to be looked at? Because that's not normal. Uh, it's not normal, and 
know, when I said previously about that message I received like a few months ago, actually, when I've seen the picture who sent me, I've actually seen that the lad at a game, mm-hmm. at a, at a scum, it was a Scunthorpe fan, at a Scunthorpe game, and I've actually seen him and he'd never said a word. No. He's, he stood outside the ground asking for a signature <laughs> and then four months later, he, he sent abusive messages yeah, to you. Yeah, he sent abusive message, but that sort of stuff. I always say to lads, if you're on sort of, I'm not on Twitter, I'm probably one of the only footballers not on Twitter. Because yeah. I'm not bothered, I don't yeah. need that in my life. Like, I, you know, I travel in with a lad, um, to Bradford and I just say if you're on that sort of thing you've got to sort of to a certain level expect the abuse yeah. that comes because you can't please everyone and someone's always going to want to say bad things about you and, and things but that's part of the reason why I'm not on there and part of the reason it wouldn't bother me yeah I think well. social media as well some people use it for completely different things mm-hmm. I know with your social media it's more about family and friends yeah, it is that's literally all I've got mine for and probably like haven't like everyone else have a nose on what's going on on instagram yeah. and facebook but literally family and friends i'm not one if i've scored a goal to tweet about it just something i've never ever done and i'm not really bothered never really read articles or, yeah. or stuff about myself i just literally i'm probably old school in that way that i've yeah. got that mentality where just crack on yeah i was probably that generation where i was like sort of coming in when social media was started growing and going yeah. big but didn't bother me I was never bothered by the online abuse you know the people saying I wasn't good enough people saying this that remember someone saying oh send me a message writing on a picture on Instagram you're fat I'm thinking why you like it's a picture with me with my wife like yeah what what are you getting about that first I'm not fat like I've got the lowest body fat in the club like you're saying all (laughs) this and I'm just like like what are you grasping from this well there was the one the other night with um, Steve Howie he was out with his wife for a walk with a dog and on Twitter and somebody himself nowhere started abusing him about his weight and it's like what, what why do they feel that they've got A the right to say that and B that why would you want to go out and try and hurt somebody emotionally just for no reason some you don't even know it's like that you don't know them what gives you the right I don't go to someone who if Bill does doing a bit of work for me I don't start abusing him <laughs> you, just, you wouldn't dream you of wouldn't it would you you wouldn't abusing someone or come to fit your kitchen <laughs> You just wouldn't do it, so why? Because you're a footballer, probably because you're in the limelight a bit yeah. more. Does that give them the right to do that? But for me, it's just like... And I hate when you hear the old one, well, they earn enough money, they should be able to take it. So what has money got to do with anything? It's ridiculous. It does my head when people say, oh, he earns this amount of money, he earns this money. So what? Like I, To this day, I've never ever told one person obviously my wife knows yeah but apart from that even parents didn't know it's, how much it's nobody's because business because it's it? no one's business and it is that mentality of people oh well he has got money he should be able to do that he should do this he he needs to take the abuse but why I, know. I think it, uh, it's because football seems to be a part of everybody's life I think everybody thinks that they're entitled to say and think what they want about footballers but that's not the case and I think people need to remember as well that you're just humans. You're just humans that are very fortunate to do a job that you love. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they're just the same as everybody else. You know, we're all the same at the end of the day. You've, they all went to school, they've all grown up, mm-hmm. we've all done the same stuff, but you're fortunate to do a job that you love. Yeah, literally. That's all it is, is I'm doing a different job to, yeah. to you. I'm doing a different job to my mum, my dad, my stepdad. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I've been the fortunate one. I'm, you know, I, it ain't been the easy ride. It, 
No. I ain't being handed down the silver spoon oil. There you go. You're, you're going to go and have that career. So I've, like I said before, I've made sacrifices. I've, I've done stuff. I've worked. I mean, like, to this day, I still do the same thing. Like, we always get a Wednesday off. But for me, it was, I had that mental side where I was like, I need to get a hitch on everyone. Yeah. So I don't take a Wednesday off. I do my own thing. Yeah. And I probably drive the physios, the fitness coaches, everyone insane. But it's just the way I am. Like, if that gives you your edge. That's, that's in my head what I got from coming from non-league. I need yeah. to get an edge on the sort of, like, David Unsworth's of that era coming into league football that gave me that edge where I knew that they weren't doing so I already had that one up on them and to this day I still do it and when you look at the very very top Cristiano Ronaldo you know after the last lockdown he come back and he broke all the fitness test records but we done we done like pre-season obviously not too long ago and you know some my age 31, 32 you'd expect middle of the road I was at the front and people saying wow you come back it's my job to come back in good shape. It's definitely, and in, in if you've prided yourself with your full career and looked after yourself, I suppose it does give you longevity. Mm-hmm. And luckily, like I am, obviously to this season I had a bad injury. Like we spoke about the hamstring, I was young, coming yeah. from non-league, where I was just probably the PR load that yeah. just took its toll on my body. But I, that's the first operation I've had, like thirty-two. And when I tell people, they're like, "Really?" So like, yeah, like. It's just like the stuff like I'm in early doing my stuff in the gym. Yeah. I do my stuff and like we said before, like the extras after training and for me it's them little bits what add up where through the length of your career it just becomes the norm. What you just get used to and I am I am probably in the gym before, you know, the majority of players. And what about nutrition? Do you have do you go off the club or do you have your own nutritionist or is it just something that you've you've learned yourself? Yeah, just something I learned myself. So when like when I sang for Huddersfield coming, because the diet you have probably non-league is not your typical diet. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, the people Dominoes have, and cans on the Yeah, table. literally, cans. And, you know, you go in the clubhouse after that's pie, chips yeah. and peas, and it was sort of changing that mind mentality away from that and, and learning about the foods that were good for me and worked for me. And still this day, I still have the same pre-match yeah. that I have that I had all my career. And it's the most disgusting pre-match ever, but <laughs> it's what works for me. Yeah. And and for me, it's massive. Like, it's, what is it then? <laughs> it's the driest chicken breast ever. <laughs> pasta and beans. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's literally mixed of pasta and beans. But if you're having that at nine o'clock in the morning for a twelve o'clock kickoff, it's disgusting. <laughs> but it's just what works for me, and it's what what I what my body pre-match routine yeah. as well, isn't it? And so I'm big on that. I don't want to change stuff and. Where, if it means like me looking after my body for however long my career is, yeah. 15 years, it's short when it's in sort of life years. Yeah. So for me to play however many games I get out of my career, like I said, I never want to look back and have regrets. And if I could have done more off the pitch, that's why I, I do more, where I'm doing stuff now with the physios and I'm probably doing more than they would like. But it's just in my head, I need to do that to get, to get back and... Like this morning, I done I done a bike at seven o'clock this morning before I went to work. Yeah, and it was just like I was awake, so why not do it now? And obviously the fish I had to tell the physio, but he was like, "Why did you do that?" I was just saying, "Why not?" And how important is recovery? What kind of things do you do for that? Huge. Um, you know, you've got the. I've never been one for ice baths, and a lot yeah. of lads love them. Um, look, 
everyone's individual what works for you might not work for me so yeah. when I see lads all doing the same stuff I'm like why are you doing that just copying my you just copying what someone else yeah. it's like me just copying your pre-match routine and end of the game routine where so what, do, what do you do for your recovery so mine's normally obviously eat after the game massive drinks they have me on a sort of recovery drinks protein shake protein shakes yeah um, and then the next day it's normally uh, like I would never ever lie around I would always do something yeah. whether that's go for a walk a little spin on the bike do you use resistance bands at all yeah so to be fair I've been having a laugh with the lad he's big on yoga and I'm not big yeah. on it um, for me it's never really been something I've done for my career I've done it a few times but yeah. it's not something I've benefited from Obviously, I stretch and things like that, but it's more at Birmingham. We always done sort of an upper body session on a Monday. That was our recovery with yeah. the spin and stretch and foam roll, which I still do this day. I still do that on a Sunday where some lads play for Bradford, play other teams, might not do anything. That yeah. might work for them, but what works for me is getting out and doing something. So, is your recovery at home or do you have to go into training? Yeah, so lucky I've got like a sort of a gym at home I, I yeah. you know I've done the you know I spent money on a on like my double garage I've done it basically into the gym yeah you know I spent money on it but that money I've spent will give me more years in the game which I it's think a, so it's an investment isn't so it? it's an investment for me I've got sort of the ice machines and stuff um, what I use obviously it's been huge for me when we need using yeah. the game ready um, and just little sort of complex machines were obviously for your muscles mm-hmm are big for me uh, with the injury I had but that's just me investing in my career yeah. it's just like some it's more the younger generation don't really understand they just say oh I'm not spending that on that thousands on that but really in the grand scheme of things when you put your wages to the way it will yeah. help you get it, it's nothing well I think with football like your business is yourself mm-hmm. you know and if you had a, a building firm you'd invest in equipment and tools to help that so if your business is yourself and your tools are your legs, why wouldn't you invest and improve them? Yeah, that's what, to be fair, I'd probably drive misses in the scene because probably, like I said, where I do stuff on my day off and I do, but then I think it's 15 years on my life. It seems yeah. long when you say it like that, but my retirement age is supposed to be 35 in my industry, but I'm hoping it's not going to be. Yeah. But if I get to 38 and I look back, I'm only 38 and that's my career finish. So if I look back and say, I could have done a bit more. Yeah. Did I get I'm, the very best out yeah. of everything I had? Yeah. So what does the future look like? Hopefully a new contract at Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the plan. But um, now obviously the first thing is obviously get fit. Yeah. Um, get fit, score more goals and, and obviously hopefully sign a new deal at Bradford, what we spoke about. Brilliant. So I'll wrap it up there. Just say thank you very much for thank coming for on. Me. It's been really good insight about your career but also a bit more information about you know the injury side of it your recovery your mindset and some of the setbacks you've had as well so mm-hmm. brilliant i wish you the best of luck Cheers, for the rest of, the, rest of your career Cheers, mate.